You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh, your host for the day. I'm joined by Jake Michaels, as I always am. Jake, no footy this week. What are you going to do with your weekend off? I don't know. Uh, we're still waiting to see when the, when the actual games will be. So it looks like there's a bit of bit of drama going on at AFL House. Yeah, wherever, certain, wherever the AFL are based at the moment. <laughs> certainly seems like it at the, the swim-up pool bar at the uh, resort on the Gold Coast, Neil Seawang. It is sort of strange that they haven't announced the fixture yet. Seems St Kilda isn't happy that they're probably going to have to play a home final at Adelaide Oval, despite having nominated the Gabba. Is that a fair thing to do on the eve of finals or an unwanted distraction? It, it doesn't seem... Fair, does it? I mean, if, if the AFL asked all the clubs that were, looked like they were going to be playing finals to nominate their home ground, effectively, and the Saints, by all accounts, um, said, yep, we want to play at the Gabba. And the AFL said, well, no, there's going to be more fans available at Adelaide Oval, so off you go. doesn't seem fair at all. You wonder if it would be the same if, if it was a Collingwood or a I Richmond. I thought exactly the same thing. But let's, <laughs> uh, let's not go down that. <laughs> that opens up a can of worms. Uh, Christian Jolly... Some would say that the Saints, uh, having spent a lot of their time uh, in Noosa over the past few months, it should just uh, go where the AFL tells them, seeing as they've had a, a fairly nice holiday, it would seem. What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, a bit of a weird one. A sort of uh, surprise, usually after the final game of the season, half an hour it takes, and we know where the finals are and what time they're going to be. Um, no, I think um, probably, if, if what I'm hearing is right, I'm probably in St Kilda's camp. They were asked to nominate a, a venue, and they have, and they've been moved. 2,000 kilometres away or whatever. So, um, yeah, interesting to see how it plays out. But, um, yeah, I think St Kilda have every right to sort of put their foot in the ground and say, well, yeah, we should be at the Gabba. It's our final. Depending on Classic AFL, system. isn't it? It is, isn't it? Um, well, the money rules all. And, but as we know, they have been a bit short on that given uh, the circumstances surrounding COVID. Um, but as I said, there's no footy this week. We've had a few footy fests. So it's been a pretty, pretty busy and jam-packed schedule. It is going to be a bit weird not tuning in to, to Fox Footy all weekend from, from my uh, point of view. Neil, you're allowed out and about up in regional Victoria. What are you going to do for the weekend? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I haven't really even thought that far ahead. When you've got two young kids, you're often dictated to what they want to do rather than what your own joys are. So um, probably a lot of the playgrounds here are open now, which I know have caused uh, many a tantrum walking past them and not being allowed in. And, and young kids don't understand why they're not allowed in there. So... You won't be getting a, a fix of the NRL? <laughs> I must admit, it's probably the one sport. I was talking uh, to someone else from the office yesterday about all the sport I consumed over the weekend, um, which was about seven or eight different sports, but not NRL. I just can't, can't get, get interested in it. <laughs> Don't tell uh, Peter Verlandes because he, he likes getting on the warpath when it comes to <laughs> AFL journalists and AFL in general. Um, Interesting, guys. Before we get into the real stuff, uh, something that caught your eye from the weekend that we might not otherwise get a chance to talk to. Jake, I might throw to you first because you've brought up something very interesting. Well, for those who have listened to this podcast before, you've probably heard me talking about this in the past, so apologies for, for going into it again. But in the Geelong-Sydney game, when uh, Justin McInerney kicked the goal to get it back to six points... Good um, night, boy, just quietly. Just quietly. Uh, I think there was about 25 seconds left in the game and the Cats obviously had to had to win. They couldn't draw. Ball goes back in the middle for a centre bounce. I couldn't believe that Patrick Dangerfield wasn't in there for the centre bounce. He's probably the best centre bounce player in the comp. All they need to do is basically grab it and clear it. The time's going to run out anyway. But he was at full forward. He's literally the furthest point away. He was in the goal square from the centre 
center, center circle. So I don't know why it happened. I'm not going to blame Chris Scott because I because the goal happened. You don't have much time to sort of get that message out there to say get it in there. But I reckon he's got to take the initiative. He's got to say, well, I'm going in there for this bounce. Like we have to, we can't concede another goal, and they almost did. So very strange. If I now had you... a dollar, Jake, for every time you mentioned Patrick Dangerfield should be playing. You'd have, about, you'd have about 10 bucks. <laughs> so, so the numbers sort of agree with you, Jake. So Geelong were without their best centre-bounce player at, for that stoppage, but it wasn't actually wasn't Dangerfield. It's actually Cam Guthrie, who's plus 26 when he's in there. Dangerfield's plus 15, but Guthrie was on the bench. So that was even more surprising that, yeah, maybe one of your um, better end-of-game players, Dangerfield in the goal square, and your best centre-bounce player on the bench. So, But luckily they held on. Get together, Cats. You almost need to do what they do in the NFL and have some two-minute drills at training and just work out what happens if that situation arises. Because having your two best centre-bounce um, players far away from the centre-bounce with, with the game on the line, really, it's just probably not... And without going into it you know, too much, um, we'd be talking about this an awful lot. Had, had, um, who had that snap for the Swans right at the end of the game that... If they if they kicked that goal and tied the game up, how much would we be talk? We'd be scrutinising and analysing the fact that they the four that they had in there um, at the end. But look, they held on. So yeah, well, a sliding doors moment, so to speak. Mm. Uh, Neil, something from the weekend that we might not get a chance to chat about uh, on the show today. It's really interesting. It's it's very very similar. It's an end of game situation which I was staggered um, with the coaching or the the lack of I guess leadership from the guys on the ground. So. Late in the Essendon Melbourne game, which I was watching intently as a D's fan, hoping they would you know, hold on and then results other went their way, which didn't happen. Um, but Essendon were coming really hard in the last quarter. I think they drew within seven points. Um, Joe Danaher actually got moved to the ruck and was actually really um, sparking a lot of clearances for the Dons. And uh, Dylan Shield had just um, kicked a beautiful long running goal from 50 metres and I got them back to within another six or seven points maybe two minutes to go, they both run off the ground and the next centre clearance, Melbourne kicks, gets a clearance and kicks a goal down the other end. And I'm just sitting there like, you know, as a Melbourne fan, I was really relieved that they weren't there. But, you know, we, you've got two minutes to go in the game. Why don't you keep your most dangerous players around the ball and try and get the ball forward? Sports scientists seem to have a lot of sway over these things and, and the amount of time that players spend on the time on, on the pine and, and, and on the ground is dictated to by that. But you'd think if the game's at a crucial point, you sort of throw mm. that out the window um, for, for two minutes of game time, an extra 30 seconds of rest. I mean, how, how bad could it be, really? It's nuts. The whole, and it's the nuts whole... that the players don't say, no, hang on, I know I'm supposed to come off at X minutes. I'm just going to stay on for an extra minute. Like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take some leadership and some onus here and yeah. actually try and win us this game. Well, it feels like the players are told you have to come off at this point, but it's almost like you don't have a certain amount of time to stay on the bench. I noticed last night with um, in the Collingwood game, Adam Trelaw came off. You saw him run off. Literally 30 seconds later, he's he's standing on the line, like going like that for someone to come off. And it's like, you just want to get off so you can get back on. Like you've ticked that off for the quarter and now you can get back on the ground. It's I don't know. It's really it's weird. It's very bizarre. Yeah, uh, look, you, you could probably do a whole show on uh, rotations and, and the the interesting things that happened on the bench. But my goodness, I think you're right. You've got to have your best players out there. Um, the both of you, Neil and Jake, are right. Have the best players out there at the crucial times, regardless of what the sports scientists say, stuff them, I say. Uh, Christian, something from the weekend <laughs> we might not get to chat about. Um, yeah, mine's an off-field one, so probably more of a lighter moment. But I um, saw a video on the internet of 
towards the end of the Geelong Sydney game, which we just spoken about in the um, Geelong family hub. Um, oh, yeah. I think from what I saw, <laughs> it was Corey Enright's um, little son or daughter, a little toddler, actually uh, switched the Foxdale channel. He must have pushed channel down or something and ended up on NRL for the final 30 seconds, 40 seconds of that game. But it was quite funny uh, watching it play out. They obviously didn't get the vision back until after the siren had gone. But as soon as it came back on, the celebration of all the kids sort of jumping in a huddle, 10, 15 of them all sort of jumping on each other, celebrating their dads or, you know, family getting into the top four. Something we haven't seen a lot of is the the joy and excitement of crowds at, at the end of games. We haven't seen a lot of those, you know, um, shots of the you know the cheer squads all hugging and celebrating together. So it was yeah, it's sort of a, a funny moment, but also something that um, just the way yeah the way they were celebrating at the end is something you sort of miss this year. You don't see don't see a lot of that sort of emotion being shown post match. I reckon she probably pulled the plug when she saw Danger and Guthrie weren't in at the centre. <laughs> not watching this. This is not good enough. It's <laughs> not going to happen well. Sounds like the Enright clans watch more NRL than you have this year, Neil. Indeed. <laughs> um, so yeah, something I, I noticed uh, well, a couple of times is players that get quite close to the umpire microphones throughout the, the weekend, and, and you can hear some really good stuff uh, from, from that. You, I mean, I'm, I was watching last night Collingwood and um, Port Adelaide, and uh, umpire Williamson sort of was explaining to Big Mason Cox what he'd done wrong in a marking contest, and I, I found it was quite... <laughs> Quite entertaining because he was, I think he was trying to tone down the language a bit, uh, old Mason, and the umpire was just sort of saying in no uncertain terms, you're bloody wrong. Um, but then earlier in the weekend, we had an incident where you could overhear some swearing. I think Tom Hawkins it was in the Geelong City game. We've mentioned that game a bit. Um, but, you, you know, it's kind of the, the good and the bad that you get with, with umpire mics. And, and, and do they offer really enough value? I mean, do we like what we get from those, Jake? I think I think ninety percent of it is pretty good and it adds a little bit and it kind of makes you you know you can get a sense of what's actually happening on the ground. We don't hear that much, but with anything, you know, it's whatever sport, whether it's cricket or you know anything that you're hearing, you know, what's happening on the field that we would normally hear, there's always going to be a bit of swearing and sledging that probably the players or umpires didn't expect. Because I, I think if you ask a player, are you aware that your everything you say can be is recorded basically? I, I don't think they're thinking that when they're saying it, especially in the middle of the game. So it happens. It, but, you know, I think it's probably up to the broadcasters to sort of filter that stuff out rather than um, rather than letting it go to where. Well, Neil and Christian, you both have young children. I mean, if, if you guys were sitting down with your kids and watching the footy and you overheard a couple of swear words, are you, are you concerned by that? Do you sort of just explain that it's part of, part of the process and you just don't swear when, when you get to, to preschool or, or primary school? Like, how do, you, how do you approach that? I don't know how I approach it with my children, but I'll put my uh, working hat on. Definitely need the umpire audio. Um, <laughs> yeah, what you hear filtered in the background, you, I'll tell the kids to deal with that themselves. But uh, <laughs> I need to know what's touched and free kicks. So I think we definitely need the umpire audios. The, the, um, even the reason for free kicks just aren't clear anymore. They don't, I remember going to the footy as a kid and they had five or six different actions of the push in the back, a high tackle, a whole man. Now they sort of dramatise what the player did and the action and you're holding a wrist and does that mean you're chopping his arm or you held his arm? Or, so, um, yeah, for me, the, the audio needs to stay. It's, uh, I think it, it, it does add a fair bit to the game just because you need to know what the officiating, you know, not mm. seen or touched so you know when the ball's not going to be paid a mark. So, uh, yeah, the little kiddies can just... Um, just need to learn to filter out what they need to filter out, but let the grown-ups hear what they need to hear. <laughs> the touch thing's pretty um, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Obviously, you wouldn't. You know, but why is he playing on? Like Will Hoskin Elliott yesterday, without carrying, going on another tangent, what was he doing? Handballing, I think, to Majacek 
10 metres out where the players around him. He must have thought it was tough. I don't even, I don't even think Majacek was looking, though. So even yeah. if it's touch, you don't handball to someone that's not looking. <laughs> I think Buckley would have broken the glass if Majacek missed that snap, which you almost did. <laughs> Neil, I was just going to ask, um, are you concerned by umpire swearing at all? Not really. I'm, I, at risk of going on another tangent, um, to borrow Jake's line, I remember going to the footy um, with, mm. before I had kids and getting told off for swearing. And I had a bit of a, a, an angry sort of back and forth with the dad of these young kids. And I sort of said to him, look, you know, you bring him to the footy, of course, there's going to be a bit of swearing here and there. But now, as, you know, I haven't taken my kids because they're too young to a game of footy yet, but I'd be really conscious of other people swearing in the crowd. So it all depends on where you sort of come from. Yeah. Um, you know, you probably don't swear going down the street that often. You don't audibly yell out an F-bomb if you stub your toe. Yeah. So maybe it's... Uh, you know, something that we should be aware of. <laughs> uh, Jake's got a bit more anger bubbling inside him than me. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard. The, yeah. the heat of the moment, these players, it all, this is their livelihoods and their jobs. So um, I think it'd be really hard to, to, to take it away from the game just because you hear the odd, the odd swear word once around or something like that. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, let's get into the real stuff. Uh, because we do have the bye week coming up, uh, we can touch on finals next week more so. I thought this week we'd, we'd take a closer look at the teams that didn't make finals and just sort of where they sit in the scheme of things heading into a, a pretty big off-season, especially given list sizes are, are, are going to be cut down and it's going to be a shorter pre-season for, for many teams compared to what they're used to. So why don't we go down the list of all the non-finalists, starting uh, with your mob, Neil, the D's who finished ninth. Uh, and we'll just sort of go through and just sort of discuss what each non-finals team needs to do to improve in 2021, just sort of looking at the, the top two or one or two things that they need to do. Um, Neil, I might throw straight to you, the Ds. I mean, close, but not quite. Uh, what's, what's the big thing they need to do to improve next season? Yeah, they're, they're, even though I watch them so closely, they're still a riddle to me. Um, they've got four or five bona fide stars, which for the first time in my life, there's a, there's a group there that look like, you know, they look like they they belong in that elite echelon. Um, but yeah, they've looked confused at times this year. That it, it looks like there's been some inconsistency with the game plan throughout the year. In terms of list additions, you know, Melbourne probably need at least one more, you know, fast either winger or you know outside um, runner from a halfback on the wing. Um, you know, if we're if I'm allowed to put my dreamers hat on, I'd love someone like a Lockie Whitfield that can kick off both feet better than most of Melbourne's list on their preferred um, to play on the wing or halfback. Um, and then the other end of the ground is obviously forward. You know, Melbourne often wins a lot of inside 50s and doesn't, doesn't get the results that, that they should. Um, and I think we were talking before, is that because they've got a lack of strong forward options or is it because most of their midfielders are more sort of inside, just hack it forward and they don't really kick the ball that well? So it's a long-winded answer to say I, I don't have a one area where I think Melbourne needs to improve. Um, if they can get you know, a speedy outside player and, and maybe, um, you know, just one more year of improvement from what's still a relatively young list. I think Melbourne should be, should be, you know, better next year, which and one step better is to play finals. So, yeah, it's not all doom and gloom from where I stand, but I certainly mm-hmm. don't have one all-encompassing answer. Well, they had that year at the top, year at the bottom, and now they're smack bang in the middle. Um, I really think Tom McDonald's kind of the, you know, the player that, you really want to get back. And he was so great in that 2018 campaign, but just hasn't been anywhere the same player since. So I don't know if he can become that player again. Um, That's my fear, Jake. My fear is he can't. Just His body doesn't look like he moves as well as he used to. 
I know he had a foot injury a little while ago. He just hasn't had that athleticism, which for a big guy, he ran so well. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so whether or not he's actually part of the answer or whether Melbourne look to, to ship him off and bring someone else in. Um, but certainly maybe a second key forward. Wiedemann showed a lot of good signs this year. Um, yeah, Luke Jackson in his first, first year looked, looked pretty solid as a mobile, sort of unusual sort of mobile tall player. Um, unusual looking too with this crusty <laughs> clown. <laughs> I knew you were chuckling at that. Um, yeah, so if, if McDonald goes, maybe Melbourne look to to get a more mature key forward in the in the trade. But um, yeah, a lot of good signs. But um, yeah, no, nothing that I can really pinpoint that that they need specifically. Just a bit a bit from column A, a bit from column B, a bit from column C. Yeah, seems, seems to be the case. Um, the Giants are an interesting one. I mean, obviously played off in a grand final last season and, and have slipped down to 10th on the ladder, which surprised many. Uh, and I think the, the performances surprised many with just sort of how lacklustre they looked at times. I mean, Christian, I might throw to you, is, is there something that has really stood out stats-wise that the Giants just haven't done well and need to, to improve at in 2021? Yeah, so we, I mean, we go back to last year and um, we spoke about it a lot. They, they really relied strongly on their clearance games to so stoppage, winning the clearances and scoring from there. Um, and they, they, the percentage of points they got from turnovers was the lowest in the competition. So that suggests, you know, they weren't doing as well in general play. It's, it's happened again this year. So their biggest um, failure this year was their, their ability to move the ball. So once the opposition got the ball inside their forward 50, the Giants went from end to end, the, you know, the least often of any size. So they ranked 18th from going from their defensive 50 to inside 50. Um, and even defending that going the other way. So they were ranked 15th for stopping the opposition from going from one end to the other. So, again, we know that they they made a grand final and it was all built on this unbelievable clearance game and stoppage game. It, it's out in the open. Um, it's structure and ball movement. Um, looking at it both ways, they're sort of, yeah, they really struggle to move the ball quickly and efficiently from one end to the other. And they're not they're not stopping it well either. So to be ranked 18th and 15th, they're sort of, they're, that's nowhere near a top eight sort of, you know, signature team. You need to be in the top eight for at least one of those two stats, if not the top six. Um, so again, yeah, probably one of the biggest issues for GWS is that ability to move the ball from one end to the other. We know they, they were really low for inside 50s per game this year, but one of the best for scoring ones inside 50s. So they got the forward line, they got the potency there, Cameron, Himmelberg, Finlayson, Toby Green. Any of those would be a top two forward in any other side. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's that whole general play and stopping ball movement and uh, producing uh, quick ball movement is their, their main issue. It seems like because they're such, uh, well, like you said uh, last year, they were such a clearance-based team and, and really good at that point. It seems like they're just missing something at Ruck at the moment. You know, obviously, Source Jacobs uh, isn't going to be there. They've tried Mumford. These are really old sort of guys that, that probably aren't offering what they can, and they probably need to look at a really strong Ruck going forward next year to sort of help those, mid- those top-line midfielders that they clearly have who just haven't been performing as well as they could have been. Yeah, and they were, they were 13th for clearance differential. Um by the end of the season. So again, the, the strong part of their game, the, the, the first part of it is winning that initial clearance. They were in the negative and down yes. the bottom for that. So yeah, it all, it all sort yeah. of fell apart. I think that's, they've obviously lost Zach Williams and Aiden Core already. So that might've freed up a little bit of salary cut room. I think they've got to throw everything at the best available mature Ruckman. Mm. If their whole game is based around clearances and they're only 13th in clearances and, and they get beaten outside, it all starts with the Ruckman um, and being able to win, you know, those, especially at 666. So I wouldn't mind them looking at someone like uh, someone that's that's maybe not getting pure ruck time that looks like they should be. So someone like a, a Peter Laddams or Rowan Marshall, 
who they share ruck duties in their teams. But I wonder whether they've got a desire to be the main man because a lot of rucks, they just want to be ruck me all day. I don't, I don't want to spend time on the bench. I don't want to spend time up forward. And you'd love their list manager to be having a, a word with those really highly rated players that are having to share duties elsewhere. A good point. Uh, maybe there's something in that and they can go harder to Ruckman to just help out that midfield. Uh, moving down the ladder, 11th, Jake, the Blues. Uh, haven't, look, they were, they were pretty good this year. Um, you probably take the win loss just on, on paper, but you know, looking deeper, it just seems like they haven't improved as much as people thought they might have this season. No, um, certainly, certainly not. Um, I, think the, I think the Blues, and, and I know there's going to be a little bit of discussion here, but I think the Blues need a big signing. And not just another B or C grade player like we've done over the last few years. Carlton need an A grade signing. The Blues, no team has gone as long as Carlton without bringing in an A grade player to the team. It's been about 13 or 14 years since since Chris Judd came into the team. It was the last A grade player we brought in from another club. We have not done so since, in a decade and a half nearly. That's astounding. No other club has gone that long. The Blues need to do it. Now, I'm not just saying go out and, and throw a dart out the window and try and get anybody. You obviously need to get a player that is going to fit what we need. But Carlton need to make a bit of a statement now to almost show, like, you know, kind of how Hawthorne were doing it back in the day. And, and you know, we've seen Geelong, Geelong as well. You know, bring in a big player and, and show that, hang on, we're actually serious about climbing up the ladder. We're actually serious about the development because otherwise it's going to be too late. You know, we, we had you know, Mark Murphy... Um, is ageing. Ed Kerno is ageing. We've seen Matthew Cruiser retire. Bryce Gibbs, who obviously spent a long time at the Blues, retire. Kay Simpson retire. All these guys have, have passed it now. And we don't want that to happen to the next wave of players. We want it, we've got to strike at some point. And the Blues just haven't been able to do it. And I think it's it's time, Carlton. And look, obviously, Zach Williams, you know, do we do we classify Zach Williams as an A-grade player? Uh, you, are, you, you do? Oh, Masking. I think he's around the mark. Um, I think I think if Carlton got Zach Williams, I think he'd be the best player we've brought in from another club since Chris Judd, and that's saying something. So to me, I think Zach Williams is he's got all the potential to be an A grade midfielder. Played the final ten or eleven weeks there last year, uh, two thousand and nineteen, and again he was just one of those players. I think he was either above average or elite for pressure, contested ball winning and kicking and clearances. So the four facets of your game, defensive part of the game, he still stacked up. His ball use was good and he was winning it inside. So, um, yeah, putting the Carlton supporter hat on, I would love Zach Williams to come and um, sort of add some speed to that midfield. He's, he's probably someone that you're talking about, Ruckman, sort of wanting more opportunity as Ruckman. He's probably played mainly halfback flank for GWS um, and was thrown in the midfield. And he, he had a couple of, you know, 30-touch games in a row uh, in there. So... Um, yeah, I think he'd be a, a, a huge pickup for, for Carlton. But again, I, I just add him and Jack Martin. I mean, got Jack Martin for free in the preseason last year. That's enough. I mean, you, you build with what you got. You've still got another top 10 draft pick this year. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think you'd go out and try to get too many traded in players. I think the list is looking pretty good. And again, um, you know, it's Teague's now been in charge for a year and a half and haven't seen any, you know, massive improvement, but haven't seen a great drop off either. So, um, I think they stay the course with what they have at the moment, list-wise. Interesting. Neil, any thoughts before we move on to the Dockers? Yeah. I agree that Williams really fits Carlton. I think, especially if you want to play him as a full-time midfielder. Um, I, think I, I, I think I disagree with Jake to a point in that 
I wouldn't. I think it'd be real Carlton to just throw. You know, we need an A grade player. We're just going to get the best available. But it's but not it Carlton be... though, because we haven't done it. That's the that's the point. But there's 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 always been the the the, the Messiah mentality. I reckon at a few <laughs> clubs, and Carlton's been one. We got we need a big name player. Um, and you mentioned the Hawthorne way of doing it, but the Hawthorne method was quite targeted. Like Ben McAvoy, uh, Brian Lake, all the all these people um, weren't the absolute cream of the crop. They sort of went for you know two or three B plus players each year in that in that period. So mm. yeah, I think but it's smart B to go for someone players. like Williams. But even but B not, plus players we haven't brought in. You know, that's, yeah. that's the other thing. I mean, Mar- Martin's a B plus player. Martin's yeah, not a B plus player. No, He's you're not. probably right. Martin's um, on a beat plus Martin, player. Like, this is a good, good chat. We've got to move on, though. Come on. Uh, we can talk about Carl a while. We could. <laughs> Spin off Carl. Jo- join us on there. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Dockers. Hey, look, I was really impressed by the Dockers. I had them, I had them finishing bottom two at the start of the season. Uh, I wasn't sure that uh, Long Ewell would come in and wave his wand immediately and, and, and have that influence over the playing group. But defensively, they were really sound, which was... Uh, really impressive to see. They also blooded in some midfielders who are, who are doing some really, really good things when, when Fife was out of the team in the middle of the year for a couple of weeks and um, have continued on with that. The issue that I have with the Dockers going forward is they need to add some front-half power. Um, Matera hasn't come on as, as, as well as they'd hoped, and he, he's sort of now getting towards the back end of his career. Matt Tavern had a really good year, but uh, he's prone to injury and was probably a little bit lucky this season in, in the way that he got on the park. But when he's fit, he's a great player. I just think if the Dockers can either get someone like Jesse Hogan up and running, which, um, you know, doubtful because we haven't been able to see it so far and he's been there three, two years. He's been there a while. Um, if the Dockers can, can get some front half power and kick some more goals, they'll be, a, they'll be back up in the, in the race for the eight in no time, I think. Any thoughts, anyone? Mm-hmm. Well, they're a good defensive team and that, you know, the young midfield, um, we've already seen it this year, you know, Sarong playing really well in his first year and Brayshaw and, Chera, they got really good um, young midfielders in there. It's you're right. It's it's the forward line which they do struggle to um, to score. Yeah, two, two numbers that stand out to me is yeah, second best for stopping the opposition once scoring inside fifty, so second best defensive six sort of thing, and second worst for scoring once inside fifty down there in. So that you summed them up perfectly. It's talk about greens and reds when we look at spreadsheets in um, champion data, and yeah, all the greenies in there in their defensive columns and a lot of red in their offensive columns. So yeah, only sort of one part of the ground to fix up, you'd think for them to um, keep moving up the ladder. Ben Brown, anyone? <laughs> Hadn't uh, thought about that. Yeah. Never know. Never know. Um, is, it, is it a reach to say the Dockers, you know, could play finals next year? No, no if they, they, they fix that. Me. But them in Melbourne, I mean, Melbourne, again, Neil summed them up perfectly. They're the great unknown. I still have a little bit of confidence in Melbourne, but if we're talking uh, bottom 10 and who's the next in, um, I'd have Frio very closely um, moving into the eight next year. Yeah, good, uh, good time to head for Frio fans, that's for sure. The Bombers, speaking of entire podcasts we could do, there's a lot to talk about with them, but uh, what's the main thing that they need to get right, uh, Neil, going ahead into 2021? Yeah, they've got holes everywhere, don't they? They've got holes in their list. Um, they've got, uh, you know, depending on what rumours you believe or what reports you believe, they've got three or four, you know, of their best players about to walk. Um, and the handover from, from Warsfold, yeah, board uncertainty, the handover from Warsfold and Rutten has been really messy all year. So I think they just, they need to, to make sure that everyone's buying into what Rutten's selling. Um, he's got a tough job on his hands when he, 
when he was appointed, he probably thought that he was going to be, you know, with a handover process, he thought it was going to be quite a stable environment for him. Um, his messaging and, and Warshold's messaging would probably be quite similar and they'd be working together. But, you know, he's got a real job in front of him now to try and unite that playing group and the broader club as well. So just getting on the same page on and off the park would be the most important thing for them. I think that's pretty spot on. Uh, Gold Coast Suns. Uh, Jake, we've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but the way that they let uh, themselves have winless streaks of five, six, seven, eight games over the last two or three years, it's just something they can't do going forward, isn't it? Well, it's kind of been the same old story for the Suns right back to their first uh, their first season. I mean, they, they generally, maybe not the first season, but throughout most of the club's short history, they, they start seasons off pretty well. They're really competitive. They're, they're, most of their wins have come in the first half of the years and they just fall away late in the year. Um, and even this year, you think, you know, at one point we're saying um, how, how great they're playing, so much young talent. Even at one stage we're saying, you know, could they sneak a final spot? But, you know, too many losses. And I think they ended up finishing, was it eight? They lost eight of their last 10, mm-hmm. nine of their last 10. So, um you know, it's a really disappointing finish to a season that had shown a lot of promise. They just need to be able to do it for longer periods. And this should have been the year they could have done it because it was the shortened year. It should have suited them based on and all a lot those of home games too. Yeah. And a lot of home games. So, yeah, I, I still think, you know, there's there's some nice players to come back into that team. And I think there's a lot of upside for the Suns. I still don't think there's many teams that have as many great players under 22 as, as Gold Coast do. But... Um, yeah, they're going to need to find a way to be a bit more consistent, not just within games, but throughout the whole season because it's it's a little bit GWS-ish in the sense that they, they're best when they... They seem to be, when they're in a game at quarter time, that you just can't kill them. It doesn't matter who's playing them. But if they start poorly, it's just... They can just fall away really quickly and it unravels. Fair points. Uh, the Hawks, Christian, their list profile concerns me. Is there anything that stands out about the Hawks uh, list-wise that shows that they need to just go back to the books? Yeah, so if you just look at the average age of the 22 uh, selected players this year, they've been the second oldest team uh, on average behind Geelong and the second most experienced. So um, Geelong are at 130 games and you know, interesting stat from Geelong on the weekend. Um, I think they're up to about 150 games average uh, for Geelong in round 18. And uh, that's the fifth or sixth oldest team I think we've seen in the last 20 years. So they're very experienced. Hawthorne's second to them, uh, 123 games, average experience per game. So again, they've spoken about it all season. It's, um, you know, whether whether they use the word rebuild or not, but um, it's time to start afresh. Um, you know, we know, we know Burgoyne's going on another year. Um, Stratton and Puopolo, who weren't, you know, were no longer regulars. Well, Stratton was, but Puopolo hadn't played much this year. They're getting moved on. But again, it, it's one of those lists that it doesn't inspire you a lot. There's no, there's no clear uh, under 22 guys that are screaming out that you know are going to sort of lead it. You know, a, a good key defender or a gun key forward. There's, a, you know, there's some promising signs there. But uh, interesting times for a team that's been so long up the top of the ladder. And they're probably going to have to, um, you know, as I said. Hesitant to use the word, a rebuild might be coming. Do you think that? Do you think they should strip it back even further? So, for example, let's put our list managers' hats on. Would you let a Gunston or a Bruce or an Isaac Smith go to get some extra picks, or do you keep those sort of, you know, those sort of thirty-year-olds around for a bit longer to sort of help bring bring the kids through a little bit better? 
I'm a bit, I don't know, I would offer him up, but again, um, don't think you're going to get much for him. I think they're, again, if, if you could net a second round or a first rounder, which I don't think you would for either of them, you might. But again, I don't think they're going to have as much currency. And Gunston and Bruce are still producing in that forward line. So again, you, you don't want to you don't want to lose both of them, that's for sure. Um, but to give up one, again, you're probably not going to get the value back. So it's probably maybe someone like maybe someone like Liam Shields. I think they've if they do have an area where they're they're pretty solid with Mitchell and Warpool and O'Meara, it's probably through the midfield. Maybe it's someone someone like Liam Shields. I'm, I'm not sure. The value that you get back, I'm just not sure it's it's there. It's kind of like when they mm. shipped off the Hodges and the Lewises and they just got picks in the 60s and 70s back. There was, well, there are two Hodges, were there, and two Lewises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of your pet peeves. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> what's in the youth invest in the draft seems like a... But they, were, but they, were, they were older, right? Like, Liam oh, yeah. Shields isn't at that, that point. But I, I get what you're saying. You know, they're not going to get a top 10 pick for him. But no. uh, maybe, maybe they can... I don't know. Maybe it's about trading, you know, trying to do a trade for an actual, another player that they need. Potentially. Uh, Sydney Swans. Neil, you're a big Buddy Franklin fan, but is the writing on the wall for him at the Swans and do they need to find a replacement pretty quickly? Well, I think the writing's on the wall for him physically. I mean, he hasn't gone on the park at all this year. He missed a lot of footy in the previous two years. I think he's 33. Um, So I'd love to see him get back to his best, but I'm almost writing him off. If he comes back, it's a bonus. Mm. Um, And there's a lot to like about what the Swans did this year. Funny to be quite bullish about a club that's finished 16th um, and only won a handful of games. But they do have some really good small and medium forwards. Um, but a couple of their, I guess, project tall forwards in, in Blakey and McCartan got moved um, further up the ground. So McCartan looked pretty good as a defender mm. in the latter part of the year. And Blakey looked good at times up on the wing and high half forward. Uh, so, yeah, kicking goals if they can find. I mean... We all, you know, this time last year, we were talking about, you know, will Joe Danaher get to Sydney as a free agent? Do they go hard for him? Do they have the salary cap space for him? I mean, there's lots of question marks surrounding that, but he, was, he would have been a perfect fit. Do they look at Ben Brown if, they, if North are you know, holding a fire sale and, and keen to get rid of him off their books? Um, or do they, you know, do they, as a young club, do they just, you know, ride the bumps and say we're developing and, and we're, all, we're going all out to, to rebuild and replenish our stocks through the draft. So, yeah, big decisions to be made by Sydney, but certainly a, a better season than what you, their ladder position would suggest. I agree. I think you're, we're sort of finding that there might be a bit of a market for Ben Brown come, uh, come the trade and draft period uh, and free agency period because obviously North aren't keen to re- re-sign him. So there might be a few homes for him. Uh, in, in the coming off season. Uh, North, speaking of, finished 17. Um, look, they showed a bit under Reece Shaw towards the back end of last year after he took over, but this season after their first two rounds, which they won both games, it's been a bit of a disaster, really. They've delisted 11 players uh, already. A few more have said that they're going to explore their options. Um, where do we sort of need to, to go for North, Jake or Neil? I'll, I'll throw to one of you guys. I think they've just got to strip it back further. I don't think there's a team that probably has to strip back more than North, given that they already have basically started to do that. Um, We've seen in previous years they aren't afraid to sort of cut players. Um, Yeah, I think think it's kind of... We we spoke spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, and I think Neil mentioned it, probably should look to move Ben Brown. And I think the other one is um, Sean Higgins, who's a gun player. And they're just not playing him in the right positions. He's been playing out on the wing and... 
I don't know. I, I think there's some good young players in North Sydney. They've had they've been smashed with injuries, like so. You know that that does play a role. But yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't hate the idea of of moving on some of those um, some of those top top tier players in Brown and and Higgins and seeing what you can get for them and and building it up again because with with they're just not going anywhere at the moment and it won't be long before Higgins is retiring and, and Browns, you know, who knows what's happening with Brent Brown. So, so it's, it's really obvious, you know, they've, they've stripped it right back. I mean, 11 guys delisted, you know, within a week of the season finishing. Um, I did hear during the season that they had about 23 or 24 out of contract players. So if, if, if you're going to start, you know, a season to strip it back, this is the perfect season. They had out of contract players. They got two top 10 picks. They've got their mm. own pick plus they are in Melbourne's pick of this year's draft. So, Now's the time to do it. Um, looks like they are. They're biting the bullet. They're going to make yeah. as many changes off-field, sorry, on-field, off-season changes as possible. Um, you know, hopefully now they're two draft picks and start again. So it might be yeah, a bit of a four or five-year project starting to happen here for North. And it's not like it's a balancing act, though. You go, Neil. Isn't it? Sorry, Matt, to, to butt in. I mean, as a Melbourne fan and you guys as Carlton supporters, you've seen the damage it can do if you cut everything back so deeply that you've only got kids with no one to learn from mm. and you get rid of all of you guys over 30. So they've got to get the balance right and keep the guys that they think culturally set the standards um, and maybe let one or two veterans go that they might be able to get some value out of as well. But they can't just strip everything right back and have a team of babies. Yeah, um, you're right. And I think what they've got is they've got Goldstein, Zeeble, Cunnington. So you, you're starting midfield, you add Simkin or if they keep Higgins or something, you, you've got a crux there of an experienced midfield. And I think that's where your experience needs to be in your midfield and defence. Um, they've got Robbie Tarrant down there as well. So you, you, they're, they're probably going to be a bit light on for experience, but keeping those midfielders and having one of the best ruckmen in the competition can, can only help. For sure. Uh, and last but not least, the Crows showed a lot of pretty good signs towards the back end of the season. Uh, they won three in a row and then went down to the Tigers in the last game of the year. Um, Geez, it would have been all doom and gloom, especially from a statistical standpoint, Christian, uh, looking at the Crows earlier in the season. But is there cause for optimism? And, and what's the big thing they need to do going forward? Yeah, so it was. It was really hard. I mean, halfway through the season, even up to around 13, 14, looking at Adelaide and trying to get any sense of what they needed to improve on or what they were trying to do and what type of game style they had. They just, they just couldn't get their hands on the ball and they couldn't really hold on to it once they got it. Uh, as you said, probably if you look at the last five weeks of form for them, uh, I think they, were, they finished eight from the ladder if you're on the form ladder if you look at the last five weeks of the season. Biggest part of the game, they stripped it right back. Number one for contested possession differential, second for ground ball differential. So, again, just let's just win the footy. Um, they've got a lot of ball hunters in the midfield, the guys that can pick up, you know, rack up the high, high disposal numbers um, and get their hands to it first. So, again, if we're talking about something um, that they, they – that they can take from this year and build upon. It's probably that inside game, the ability to win the ball. Um, you know, they start attacking slightly more towards the end of the season. They couldn't even attack. So they weren't winning contested ball or tackling at the start of the year. Now they're sort of they've, um, starting to get their hands on the ball and, you know, stick their tackles. So, um, yeah, probably pretty rosy looking at the last five weeks. They've got something there to start working on. So Matthew Nix and the team. For sure. Uh, anyone else have any thoughts about the Crows before we move on? Uh, one word answer from all of you. Do the Crows try to keep um, Brad Crouch or do they let him go as a free agent and hope to get pick two? Uh, okay. Yeah, I'll try and keep him. Picks are an unknown. I mean, we know that. 
Um, and if you've got a bloke who's earning 26 or 27... That's not a one-word answer, Matt. Yeah. Keep. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, anyone else? Uh, have we gone through everyone? Jake, you'll keep. Neil? Uh, yep, keep. Excellent. Uh, all right, let's move on. Um, Do we oh, yeah, keep, or, keep or leave for you? Uh, yeah, I'll probably offer oh, up. <laughs> you would bring <laughs> up, see what I can get. Yeah, if, it's, if it's pick two, I'd um, strongly consider it. Fair mm. enough. Uh, all right, the coaching pressure power rankings. Let's create a leaderboard here because there are going to be some coaches under pressure either this off-season uh, in the coming days and weeks or uh, next season if, uh, if they're still on the books. Neil, who leads the pack as the coach who's going to be most under pressure come round one? I think the obvious answer is Leon Cameron. Mm-hmm. In fact, if, he, if they hadn't have already, I think they'd already at least verbally agreed on a re-signing um, early this year and that got put on hold because of COVID and the Giants kept on losing and losing and, and tumbling down the ladder and they said that, yet yeah, we're going to honour that, that deal. Uh, without that, I reckon he'd have every chance that they'll be looking to, to replace him. Um, yeah, you know, as Christian mentioned when we talked about the Giants um, earlier, their their number one would, if you like, their clearance game wasn't that good this year, and they were hopeless in stopping the ball um, moving into their defence, and they were hopeless at moving the ball from defence to um, to their attack. So, when you consider, I know Jake's got some opinions on whether they are actually that talented, but when they've got that much first round talent, um, which should develop into genuine A grade or mm. AFL talent. Um, I don't think anyone could deny that they've got a really talented list. Um, I'd say he'd be, he'd be head and shoulders above the pack entering next year um, in terms of pressure um, for the coaching ranks. It's bizarre that a bloke who signed a two-year deal just maybe two or three weeks ago, he's under the most pressure, but mm. you're spot on. Um, the way that they've fallen this season has just been, uh, it's almost hard to fathom, but um, you're right, come round one next year, he'll be under the microscope for sure. Jake, anyone else in that sort of upper echelon who's on the podium in terms of the coaching pressure power rankings? Well, I think Neil's right. I think it's Cameron by a bit of a margin, but probably uh, probably behind him, in my view, would be uh, Simon Goodwin. Um, you know, it's been an up and down couple of years for the Demons and you know, as I said before, they had that year at the top, they had a year at the bottom, and now they're in the middle. And it's like, what's going to happen next year? Nobody really knows. Like, you can make a case that they're going to be in the top four. You can make a case they're going to be in the bottom four. It's just really hard to know what you're going to get. So he's got to get the best out of them because if they miss the finals next year, I just I just can't see them them uh, pushing on with him. What do you reckon, Neil? Yeah, I think it's finals or bust next year. Um I think he's got two more years. You know, he he did very well to sign a four-year deal after that prelim. Um, And I think, yeah, the the confusion in the game style is what worries me. They played, they seem to play differently, you know, game to game and sometimes within games. They play fast, they play slow. Um, So he's got a talented squad, in my opinion, at his disposal. Um, But I think, yeah, next year, if 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 it all crashes, he'll be under immense pressure. I wouldn't be surprised if they... You know, if it's finals or bust, much like Ken Hinckley coming into this year, you know, he, he said, yep, finals or bust for me. Don't know whether Melbourne will be, uh, you know, on top of the ladder from round one onwards next year, like the power have done this year. But, um, yeah, bit of pressure on him in the days. Third on the list from my point of view, Reece Shaw. I know he's only uh, one full year into the job, but, um, I mean, maybe maybe he's not, depending on how, how hard they decide to cut back that list, as we've just discussed. But, the way North played this year has has me uh, concerned for them and for his future. Anyone else agree, or is there someone else, maybe a David Teague, 
Uh, can Ben Rutten be under pressure before he's even coached a game? Like, where are we at on those sorts of names? Mine's a different one. Probably not under pressure, but probably have to have a long, hard look at if he's going to be the right guy to take you forward. He's Alistair Clarkson at Hawthorne, um, you know, which is unbelievable to say about probably the best coach of the last <laughs> few years. But it is. If, if Hawthorne are going to look at, you know, is this a five-year plan or a two-year plan? Um, yeah, it, it's it's just sitting down and working out, is this the, is this the right guy to, sit, you know, take us forward for the next five years? Um, but and he's got to be honest with himself. The pressure, I wouldn't think it's a, it's a, you know, you need to win games next year to keep your job. It's just, do you want to be here and, you know, stay the course for the next four or five years if, if that's the way Hawthorne decide to go. Mm. Interesting. Uh, in a word, uh, we'll go through the list maybe. In, and uh, Teague, is he under pressure or not? Uh, he's getting there, yeah. Uh, yeah. Justin Longmuir? No. Uh, who else have we got? Uh, Stuart, you. A little. Yeah, I think a little bit. Uh, Particularly after the last couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Longmire. Again, I don't think so for, too much. For the longevity? I mean, how long can... I, mean, I don't think he is, but again, you, you always look at someone who's 10, 12 years into the job. Um, they're outside of finals. Yeah, again... I would say a little bit just because of how long he's been there, not because of their performances as such. And uh, finally, Matthew Nix. I mean, the, the turnaround at the end of the season, has that bought him some more time? I would yeah, so. I think so. I mean, they wouldn't want to be a three-win team next year, mm-hmm. would they? But the fact that they've got some optimism, um, you know, late-season optimism as well, it would be yeah. different if they won their first three and then lost, you know, 15 in a row as opposed to the opposite. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. I think it just... You go into that off-season with a lot more positivity this way. Um, I think, as we said just before we started, that in the last five rounds, uh, the Crows uh, would be top eight. So, obviously, it doesn't take any of the anything away from the rest of the season, which was really poor. But you, you, you would rather win the last, you know, your three wins come in the last five weeks or four weeks as opposed to um, not winning any. That's for sure. Uh, that was a good chat. Uh, the coaching pressure power rankings. We might have to do a yarn up on, on the website uh, as the 2021 season approaches next year. Um, moving on, a little bit of an interesting discussion point that I want to raise. A bit of a juxtaposition between Cade Simpson and Ben Stratton on the weekend. Two hard-at-it, no-nonsense defenders. Um, Simpson obviously hasn't won a flag and Ben Stratton won three. And it sort of got me thinking at least. And Jake, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Some of the better players or some of the players who have been unlucky to not win a flag since 2000. You think about Simpson, who's played 329, 330-odd games, couldn't, couldn't get to the top. There must be a few on your list of, of those who are a bit stiff to not have won a flag since the turn of the century. Well, people tell me all the time that Formula One is a right place, right time sport. And, but it's the same in pretty much every sport. We see it here. If Kate Simpson was drafted to Hawthorne, he'd probably win four flags. Um, Definitely, but but instead he and he, and he's regarded as a another champion and legend. So, but he doesn't. He plays his whole career at, at the Blues and, and doesn't um, doesn't win any. So, oh look, there's a few. I mean, where do we start? I mean, we've got a couple of players that currently play: um, Nat Fife and Paddy Dangerfield. They're two two genuine superstars uh, of the last twenty years. And then you can go back to players like Nick Rewalt and Nathan Buckley. I mean, there's there's a lot of players that have missed out on it. 
Well, you could sort of throw throw the entire lists of St Kilda and Melbourne over the last 40-odd years and, and sort of say that any star in that, like Robert Harvey going back even further, uh, Nate Jones has played a lot of games for not much reward. I know that um, they obviously made a prelim in 2018, but to, to go your career without a flag, there are some really stiff players, Neil. You wonder whether... You'd love to know the psyche of these players like Nathan Jones and, and Cade Simpson. Like they, they love their clubs. They, they honour their contracts and they don't look to move. But they must look across the guys that are drafted one after them who, who you know, Stratton or, mm-hmm. you know, um, or anyone that plays in a club like a Geelong or Hawthorne that goes on and plays the similar amount of games and they win three or four flags. I mean, you wonder whether they just must think, gosh, if I'd have had my name called out one pick later, I could have actually had a really successful career or do they make peace with it? Are they like, Matt, this is the lot I've been given. I've still had a great career. I've played you know, 12, 13, 14 seasons of footy, um, made a lot of money, um, done what I loved, made some great friends. Um, but yeah, I mean, the one that stands out to me yeah, from the list that we're talking about is, is Nick Rewild. I thought he was, you know, an absolute superstar of the game and, and almost dragged that, that club over the line. And, and one of the few, undisputed greatest picks from that draft. A lot of the number ones don't become the best player of that draft. And, and Rewalt, you know, he did everything he could and just loved the way he played footy. Mm, so I think- for me, going back to the Cade Simpson one, and, you know, the one that stands out for me that hasn't won a premiership is Nathan Buckley. But a um, little bit of his own doing there. And um, always go back to this story that, you know, he was drafted by Brisbane, uh, told him <laughs> that he wouldn't go there unless they traded him after a year because um, he didn't see them having any success. Um, made a verbal commitment to North Melbourne, apparently, during his first season of football. Um, reneged on that as soon as Collingwood came with a bit more, um, you know, a bit more cash and probably a stronger team coming to, to woo you across. He chose Collingwood in the end. Uh, so I think he missed out on five premierships between Brisbane and North <laughs> Melbourne during his career. So it's that toss-up. It's, it's Kate Simpson can leave Carlton, but how does he know who's going to win the next premiership? Yeah. You, could, you could bust up, you know, some of your friendships and, um, closest mates to try to guess where the next premiership's going, join a team and not win one there either. So, um, yeah, it, again, it, it'd be nice to know the psyche of these players, but it, it's impossible to sort of, you know, make a call on, all right, I'm just going to go to next year's premiers because you, mm. you don't know who that's going to be. So, um, yeah, still still feel for Buckley. Still hasn't won one as a coach. I think he was, they won one the year before he took over as coach and he's obviously um, went down to West Coast a couple of years ago. But I always look back and just think, geez, as a player, yeah, you shun two clubs because they were never going to bring you success and they've won five between them. So that's unlucky. Yeah, Buckley's, Buckley's an interesting one. He even said uh, recently in a press conference that he'd made peace with the fact that he hasn't yet won a flag as a player or a coach. So maybe that's something that comes with maturity, Neil, you were speaking about whether it weighs on them. Um, he's not going to let it define him, I think he said, was the words, which I quite liked. I actually like Buckley as a coach. I think he's quite insightful and analytical and... Stiff to not have won a flag, that is for sure. Um, let's move on. We haven't got much time left. We're going to quite play another quick round of just fight hype. Yeah, just go Just quickly. Oh, yeah, sorry. Apologies. I've got a, no, I've you got a, a story. I've got a Kate Simpson <laughs> story that I just wanted to share. And look, I, um, I, I don't get too emotionally invested in games or players too much. But I was, I was genuinely upset when, um, when the siren sounded and Simpson's career was done because he's been such a, you know, we've just spoken about it. He's played in more losses than any player in the history of the game. Like, just, it's unbelievable to think. But I, I, I first bet Cade Simpson, uh, his father was actually my primary school um, principal, Terry, his name. Terry Simpson was my primary school principal. And we had a, 
a sports, like an athletics day in grade six. And it was just after Kane had been drafted to the Blues. And me and a couple of my mates, we were just being stupid and we were, we were going up to him and we, um, he hadn't, you know, he hadn't played a game. He'd just been drafted, 18-year-old skinny kid. And we were just saying, oh, you're going to win a Brownlow and all this sort of stuff. And he's just laughing. And, and he said, if I can play one game, I'll be wrapped. <laughs> and he's played 342 games and he's one of the greatest Carlton players of all time. And just, you know, it, no one ever speaks a bad word about him and, yeah, it was. It was. It, I was quite upset uh, and a bit, a little bit emotional when I saw him retire because he's been, he's just been a staple of that team for for two decades, really. And um, yeah, what a fantastic career! And he, and he won't get the credit for for not winning the premierships or anything like that. Uh, good servant at the club, uh, that's for sure, and brought back the long sleeves. I think was one of the proponents of bringing back the long sleeves for the competition and, and wore them well. Hey, I said before, justified hype or hyperbole, uh, the segment where I will uh, put a question or a statement to you guys, and you guys will tell me whether I'm speaking in hyperbole or whether the hype is justified. Christian, I might throw you with this one. Are there any stats to suggest the final series will suffer due to the greasy conditions that we've seen in Queensland? Yeah, well... If you had asked me, and I would have said yes, there is. I mean, from the just watching it, it always seems to be um, night games in Queensland seem to be harder to handle the ball. It, it definitely the numbers do come up for Metricon. So I've looked at um, disposal efficiency, kicking efficiency, marks per game, and scores. Um, so I mean, at Metricon, it drops a fair way. And again, just looking at this year, always hard to define what's a night game versus a day game. So I've just used six forty as the cutoff. Uh, you know, the grand final is going to be played sort of. Um, 6.40 start time. So, again, the Gabba, we've seen 15 games pre-6.40, 15 after. So, a good sort of um, comparison. Disposal efficiency drops by, you know, 1.5%. Uh, sorry, kicking efficiency dropped by 1.5%. Um, disposal disposal by one. So, yeah, not much there, but it's, it's metric on metric on. I mean, the biggest one to me, it's about 20 fewer marks per game. Um, and the disposal efficiency drops by 4% at metric on. So, definitely... Um, and you watch the games like they're playing with a bar of soap at night at Metricon. Um, but yeah, Gabba, sort of the numbers stack up, but yeah, not not too much difference between night and day. So no excuses there for the teams. I saw a really interesting tweet uh, on that subject that would have been like, if the AFL had originated in Queensland, they probably would have switched to a synthetic ball a while ago to sort of combat that sort of the weather conditions that they sometimes face up in the, up in the tropics. And I thought that was quite funny, but obviously the letter is going to act hey, like Matt, a bit... Go on. Is it you that's got a theory that the yellow balls... Uh, <laughs> is, have you got a theory about yellow footballs and, and red footballs? I spent about um, about four hours one day in the office going through all the scores. I know it was a, probably a very, boss. <laughs> terrible way to do it. Um, all the scores with a red and a yellow ball over the course of a season. I think it was the 2018 season. It's been hours pouring over it, adding everything up. Uh, and found that between a red ball and a yellow ball, there was like 0.4% of a difference or something for scores. Because um, your theory was the yellow balls come off a uh, harder yeah. to kick or something like that. Or, or one of them. The red balls are less <laughs> accurate and it just it was blown out of the water and I wasted four hours of my research. So, um, yeah, I've got some, got some conspiracy theories about footy out there, but that was one that was debunked, unfortunately. Um, moving on. Uh, Neil, John Worsfold's time at the Bombers was a failure. Is that... Uh, this season was an, was an absolute failure. I think you forget the environment that he came in from at the back end of that drugs disaster. And mm. I think his modus operandi was just to, to almost be a caretaker coach, get a few 
um, get everyone in line, um, try and lift morale, um, try and weather the storm and then try and set up this, this handover. Uh, and he's done that. This year has been really messy. Um, but I think at the time you probably would have, you know, they were on their knees. And so, you know, I think there was a, a success for the main part, except for this year has got a bit of a sour taste. Yeah, I think that sums it up. And last of all, Caleb Sarong should be the rising star. Jake, you were quite bullish on, on the Dockers and you mentioned him in, in uh, when we talked about the Dockers before. Yeah, he's a good player, but no chance in hell he should be the rising star winner. Um, Matt Rowell, give it to him. I know he only oh. played a couple of games, but he is the rising star. No, Who would you take? Christian. Doesn't matter. He's right the rising fire. star. Who would you take if those two are in front of you? You're taking Raul every day of the week. Don't don't even pretend you're taking Sarong. I know it's how they're No one knows the criteria for winning, do they? Like no one knows no one's even come out and said Matt Raul can still win it or yeah. no yeah. four games is no, no, the criteria is quite loose, but the main part of it I always hear Kevin Sheehan um, sort of, you know, mention it to the voters and that. So the main part of it is you are judging that season. So it's, season. it's the entire season. And you're judging just that season. So if the guy played three games the previous year and has improved out of sight, that shouldn't come into it. Um, so yeah, that, that's the basic premise of it is who, who's had who's had the best season out of these. It players. should be who it should be who polls the most Brownlow votes throughout the season. I reckon Brown got <laughs> Any thoughts on um, had a pretty good end of the year as well? Yeah. Any thoughts on Sarong, Christian? I know that you probably have some heated discussions in your office. Yeah, well, yeah, one of the guys uh, in my office actually said there's a shoe-in for the NAB Rising Star and I don't think there's any debate about it. I said, well, is that Noah Anderson? He said, no, it's Caleb Sarong. So, again, just <laughs> if, um, I, I didn't think uh, that was a little bit tuggy cheap. I mean, I didn't think Anderson was streets ahead, but I don't think there's a clear winner this year. I'd be happy for either of them to win. Um, again, one thing, when if I'm trying to judge it and I had to put my votes on, I'd turn everything to totals. So take away the average disposal and look at who won, actually won the, more, the most. Uh, and Anderson comes up slightly ahead. So, again, if you're judging for a whole year and who's produced um, more from that year, I've got Anderson a, a nose in front of Sarong. But, well, yeah. if we're doing totals instead of averages, I think Matty Rowell's in a little bit of strife. <laughs> <laughs> he drops off a fair way, yeah. Very much. Uh, and then you've got the King brothers too. You know, key forwards who it's so rare for them to play a whole season up forward. Mm. Um, yeah, they've got... Yeah. Uh, Rankin as well. So if if Matty Rowell had played enough of the games, you could have seen could have seen Rowell, Anderson, Ben King, and Rankin finish you know top five or six in an ab rising star all in the same year. So future's very, right. Very interesting. All right, uh, we should uh, we should wrap things up uh, for this week. Make sure you get your footy tips in if you are doing finals in your competition. You do have a bit of time, but. Um, as I can tell you, get them in early and you won't forget come uh, the first bounce of the first final and whenever that is, whether it's Thursday or Friday night. Uh, guys, thanks for joining me. We'll talk next week about the finals upcoming uh, and uh, thanks all for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.